you look really like <laughs> the picture quality is pretty good on your end too. So I'm like, all right, this is good. That works out. I'm happy. I know I got a little LED light right here. My wife does a YouTube channel. So this is like a little. Nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right all right. Well, let me pray and then we'll jump into it. All right. Awesome. Holy Father, thank you for Lord God, just being able to um, get together with my friend today, Father. I pray that you would bless this time, Lord, of fellowship, of, of learning about Lord God, how you deepen our walks, Father. I pray that you would just continue to bless Chachi and Angelica, Lord God, Joshua and Angelica. I pray that you would just uh, set them on fire for you more and more, Father. Every day, reveal yourself to them more and more. And may we just learn, Father, from each other. May we learn from you. We love you. We praise you and thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sweet. Well, welcome to the podcast, Joshua Martinez. Joshua, how you been? Good, brother. Um, thanks for having me. Been really good. <laughs> right on, dude. Uh, right now we're on uh, more and more lockdowns over here. More quarantines. Families are being separated. What's going on in Bolivia right now? Um, so my wife and I have been in Bolivia since January, towards the end of January, and in April, well, I'm sorry, March 22nd, the president of Bolivia announced a total lockdown. So we've been in our home. We're not allowed to go outside. Uh, we get one day to go shopping, and that's for four, four to five hours in the morning. And the day coincides with the last digit of your passport. And you can only go on that day. And it's crazy. It's like martial law. There's military on the corners. They're checking people's IDs to make sure. Um, it's crazy. You have to have a face mask. You have to have gloves. So they're taking it super serious. And there's no reported cases of coronavirus in our city. And they're still taking it this, this uh, serious. So um, I applaud that effort because we, we know that there's a reason why there's no coronavirus here. Um, yeah. You know, I believe that the, the preventative measures that the president has put in place is actually uh, probably saving a lot of lives. So we do have to pray. There's, there's, it's still spreading in the capital, in La Paz, and it's spreading in other big cities like Santa Cruz. Um, you know, fortunately, my wife and I live in a small city. Uh, in the Amazon basin of Bolivia called Trinidad. So uh, fortunately, it hasn't reached us yet. Um, but we know that the country's not going to be back to normal for a few months. So. Wow. Man. Yeah. And right now, the whole, the whole face mask issue is kind of, um, they're still trying to find out what exactly works for that because they're starting to be afraid that people are touching their face more um, because of the face mask. So it's kind of like, man, we're, it's, there's a, a lot of confusion to what's going on right now. My dad was just telling me that it could be as on the lower scale, 150,000 cases in the United States and on the, the higher end, 250 as to what they're predicting. Of yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing that's crazy. They say that there's going to be millions of uh, cases in the U.S. Mm -hmm. 100 to 250,000 deaths is what the best case scenario. And that's the thing that's scary to me. It's like, how is that a best case scenario? Uh, worst case scenario, you're talking about millions of people dying from this. Um, so we just got to pray. It's a tough time right now. It's yeah. just a scary time. Do you have any uh, relatives out there in Bolivia right now? Or is it just you and your wife with um, kind of people you just met? Yeah, it's just me and my wife. Mm -hmm. So uh, all of our family lives in the United States and in Colombia. So uh, it's just uh, me and my wife. We, before we came to Bolivia, we never met anybody from Bolivia. And we never knew anybody from here. So it's just the two of us. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Because right now I just had two friends of mine who just had 
their their grandparents passed away, two separate friends. And I'm they're right now struggling with not even being able to hug their family members right now, not being able to have a funeral. One of my, my good friends was explaining to me that they're only allowing five people to go to the uh, burial and then five people to be at the actual funeral, um, the viewing. So I, I just see the families right now, they're, they're, we're hurting right now. So it's like, man, I think people need hope right now. I think people need hope. And that, that's why you're there in Bolivia. I know you're, you're sharing that love of the gospel right now. Yeah. I think it's, it's crazy. Um, another thing is, you know, we're in lockdown. There's absolutely no flights leaving or coming into Bolivia, which means that if uh, one of our family members, either in Colombia or in the States, got sick and passed away, we, we wouldn't be able to see them. Uh, the country does not allow anybody to leave. And, and that's such a scary thought knowing that, um, you know, people lost loved ones and they weren't able to leave. They weren't able to visit them at all. And that's, that's a horrible thought, but yeah, we do need a lot of prayer right now. And, and the world is very, uh, is very sad right now. So. Yeah. yeah. How do how do you see ministry right now with this happening over in, in Bolivia? How do you, what do you see COVID-19 doing to the ministries that are there now? Um, well, I think that's, it's something that's interesting that's happening. And, and I think that this is something that the U S has been doing for, for a while now. Uh, churches in the U S have been broadcasting their, uh, studies for years now. We've been doing this through the radio. We've been doing this through web services and online in South America. That hasn't really been a big deal. Like we haven't really seen a lot of churches doing, uh, web studies and online, uh, devotionals and, and Bible studies like that. Everybody's doing them now. Every church is doing an online study. So what I think is um, this is is making churches adapt to um, to the current situation and, and embrace new technology in a way that finally we're using the internet for good things, and that is to share the gospel, to share the love of the Lord, encouragement. I, I think you can agree with me. We're going through Facebook. We're going through all of our uh, feeds, and all we see is every one of our friends is sharing, is doing a Bible study, is doing a devotional, is doing uh, a prayer uh, time, and I, and I just find that incredible. I was like, okay, finally the Lord is redirecting our uh, attention to what social media really should be used for, and that's mm. to further the kingdom of God. Right. So, no, that's a beautiful yeah. thing. I've, I'm seeing people are more open right now too to hearing prayers. People are more or open when you just say, "Hey, like, can I can I pray on you?" Or you know, Jesus loves you right now. I'm praying with my coworkers. I still I'm in HVAC, so I still have coworkers. We're trying to keep our distance. But they're right now very open to me, just like, hey, like, I think there was a day, um, maybe about a week ago, right when they started to really shut everything down, where there you could just feel this tension. We went to Costco to get some pizza and hot dogs, and people were automatically just getting, there was one line, everyone's keeping their distance. And when we came back to eat by the vans, because um, there was no tables or anything anymore, uh, we sat down and we were sitting on the floor, and I was just like, hey, like, can I pray? And they're like, yeah, please. Cause it just felt, you could just feel like this tension right now and it's, it's everywhere. So people are really open and exactly what you said right now, people, um, they, they want to see hope and it's exciting, dude. Exciting. Very exciting. Um, so why don't you explain a little bit about the ministry that you are doing right now in Bolivia, maybe before this whole epidemic broke out, what you were doing out there in the first place? Um, yeah, so I, I currently work for a uh, ministry called Samaritan's Purse. Um, it is run by uh, Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, and mm. his family. 
Um, and it's a, a disaster relief organization. And what we do is we provide uh, disaster relief being uh, physical or medical healing, things like that, to places that have been affected by a natural disaster. Um, and what we do is we do all these things with the goal of bringing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's our main goal. Number one priority for us is to be able to share the gospel. So being a, a nonprofit and a disaster relief organization has allowed us to go into many countries like Iran, Iraq, um, even Tibet, and share the gospel. Uh, places that are completely closed off, where it's against the law to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been given that opportunity because we're bringing disaster relief. We're bringing aid. Uh, so my current job is I am a program coordinator for them down here in Bolivia, and I run a hospital that is on a boat. It's called the Ruth Bell Boat Clinic. And it is a um, hospital that travels deep into the Amazon jungle of Bolivia, hmm. uh, bringing doctors and dentists uh, from, from around the world. And uh, we typically travel once a month. We are gone for about 15 days every month up the river, uh, visiting um, usually between you know five to 10 to 15 different communities that are really far away that have no access to medical help that have no dentistry um, that are completely forgotten. These places have no electricity, no running water, uh, really wild places. Uh, and we just go there with the hope of just sharing Christ with them. And so um, that's, that's my job. I, I, run the, I run the ship and I uh, ensure that our doctors have everything that they need uh, to do their jobs. And the, the best part, the part that I love the most is I'm in charge of all the uh, spiritual ministering that happens on the boat. Awesome. And so what that means is I get to do devotionals, I get to do um, discipleship, I get to do outreach um, at every village that we go to. And so, for example, this last trip that we went, we were from, is it March 7th to the 21st? We were gone and my wife got to go with me, so it was really exciting. It was our first trip and, um, and we had over 30, I think we had 36 people give their lives to the Lord. Um, a lot more of them that we weren't able to actually write down their names and give them a Bible, but they did accept the Lord. Uh, but it was really great because we were able to bring medical healing and dental work to uh, almost 300 people. So it was really exciting to be able to see what a small team, and I'm talking about six of us yeah. on a boat, able to help hundreds of people. It was really exciting uh, to wow. see that. Where are these other people from? Um, so, for example, um, we work with a ministry of Samaritan's Purse called World Medical Missions. Mm -hmm. These are the doctors that work with Samaritan's Purse. These are complete volunteers, um, and our team consists of nurses, doctors, and dentists. Now, on this last trip, there were supposed to be 16 of us going, mm -hmm. and that got taken down to six of us because we could only take a national team, which was my wife and I. Uh, two doctors, uh, two female doctors from Santa Cruz and a dentist from uh, Cochabamba, which is another city here. So it was a very small local Bolivian only medical team um, because World Medical Mission said they could not risk flying doctors um, to South America right now. And the Lord knew because the moment that we got back from the trip, they closed down all the airports. So these doctors would have gotten stuck here. Uh, wow. But typically they come from all over the world, all over the United States and Canada. Uh, they come in and help us out. Wow. Okay. Awesome. And when you when you're describing this boat, I'm I'm pretty sure I've been on those boats with you. It's not like the USS. You know, these are probably like something that's super rocky, right? 
Yeah, it's not a, I'll make sure to send you some pictures of the boat. So if you could throw them up or something. Right but, on. Uh, yeah, but the boat itself is, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty nice boat. It's a pretty big size boat. Um, there is about eight cabins so we can fit 16 people in bunk beds. Um, our capacity is for about 30 people, but we don't really want to cram the boat. We have showers, we have a kitchen, we have a medical office and a full dentistry office in there with chairs and um, solar panels and electricity. So it's, it's a really, um, I could say for, for being in the Amazon, it's a very advanced and very well equipped boat. To uh, what it does, so yeah, just uh, we were going down the Amazon River with you, bro, and there was might as well be fish jumping out of the river. Um, there's a lot, of, it's not as ghetto as that, so gotcha. Okay, cool, that's good, that's good to know you're safe. Um, yeah. so what is God showing you as you're out there right now doing this this work? What, what is what is his what is he showing your heart right now? I think what the biggest thing was, um, we were nervous. We were nervous because we had never been to Bolivia. We had never met anybody from Bolivia. And uh, my wife was like, why Bolivia? And I asked myself, I don't know, why Bolivia? It was crazy the way that the Lord opened up this door. Uh, and we came, we came here and what the Lord ended up showing me is there is no difference. It doesn't matter if you're Bolivian, Colombian, American, there is hurting people who need to hear about Jesus. And that was the crazy thing is, the same issues and the same struggles that we go through, these people are going through. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of people think that, um, you know, they, they do this whole, you know, first world problems, third world problems. But the reality is when, when somebody is not walking with the Lord, all the problems are the same. This is someone who is uh, separated from Christ. This is someone who's not living the life that God has called them to live. And so it's such a similar problem. We see hurting people uh, everywhere. One of the biggest things that we've been seeing here is women are um, very, very often the victim of domestic abuse. They are uh, treated horribly. They're, they're meant to just kind of work and clean and cook and do these things. And that's kind of the same around a lot of uh, tribes and a lot of villages and communities in the Amazon. The value for the women is just not there. So I was really excited that my wife was able to go with us last time because uh, the Lord put on our heart to just pour in and minister to these uh, young girls. Yeah. Can you, can teach you describe them the love of Christ and teach them the value that they have? Mm -hmm. You know, sorry for interrupting the video. I think the video paused. I thought you were done. Um, can you describe these villages that you're visiting? Um, like, what, what do they have there exactly? What's the lifestyle like of these people in these villages? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so when we arrive at a village, um, typically we meet with a, a leader, a village leader. Uh, the houses are made out of uh, like, uh, they're kind of like use leaves as their uh, roofing uh, wood uh, huts, similar to the ones that we saw in mm -hmm. the Amazon when we were together. Um, very, very similar. Uh, some of these places don't have electricity. Uh, some of the places um, are just that house. The entire family lives in about one or two bedrooms within that house. Mm. Uh, no bathrooms. Uh, that's another thing. Uh, but life there itself could be pretty hopeless. You know, you have these kids growing up uh, with very little aspirations to do anything in life. You know, they're just kind of like, hey, we're out here. We're in the jungle and nobody really cares about us. And it, it just kind of feels a little forgotten. Um, one of the sad things is because there isn't anything to do, 
Uh, typically, the girls get pregnant around 13 years old. Wow. Uh, they end up getting married around 13 or 14 and just having a ton of kids. Most, most of the families that we uh, met with and were single mothers with six, seven kids and mm-hmm. little, little tiny kids. And we're like, all these kids are yours? And she's like, yep. And we're like, okay, wow. you've been busy. Yeah. So it's typically that. It's, it's, there's not a lot of goals and aspirations for these kids to really um, you know, work towards. So that's one thing that's a little sad. Hmm. Now, with, with these visit, uh, villages that you're visiting, um, th- these are like reservations, right? From yeah. what I'm guessing, these are like type. Okay, because yeah. Bolivia, maybe um, I, I don't know too much about Bolivia. Is, is what what even type of government is Bolivia? Um, so up until this year, this is the thing that was crazy. Up until this year, they had a president called Evo Morales. Um, he was pretty popular. He was really famous. He had a uh, political party. It was called MAS, M-A-S, which is Movement Towards Socialism. So he was a socialist, kind of like a Bernie Sanders type of dude. Um, very um, wanted the government to pay for everything, wanted everyone to, to have this communist mindset. Now what they ended up finding out after 14 years is just a huge net of corruption. Uh, this guy essentially turned Bolivia into a narco state producing coke and cocaine for uh, Colombian and, and Mexican cartels like crazy, uh, pretty much paid everyone off, uh, rewrote the constitution several times so he could keep himself in power. Um, but um, but at, at, at the end of the, uh, uh, of the line, Bolivia is a, a republic, very, very similar to us. You know, they believe in elected presidents, they believe in a short-term presidency, typically four years. Um, and now the thing that was insane was uh, Evo Morales was a native. He was Indian. He was a uh, native Bolivian. So everybody loved him that was native because it was the first president to be native, to, to be one of the people type of thing. And the country did change. And there was a lot of good that happened. Uh, the sad thing is that there was just corruption and, um, and there's a lot of shady stuff going on in the background. Uh, with the government, but he wanted to completely kind of move away from Christianity. He didn't, he didn't really like Christianity. He actually uh, began to like not celebrate Christmas as much. He wanted to celebrate winter solstice and he kind of created all these things. He changed uh, the government's name from uh, the Republic of Bolivia to the, um, what is it? plural national republic of like the multinational republic of bolivia to show that there's many nations within the country that are indians in a sense and so um you know that was the thing he was a man of the people and they loved him but he was also uh very corrupt and that's one of the sad things is just see how power corrupted this man who did so much good but at the same time did so much bad for the country so this is a great time for the gospel in bolivia because we have a lot of freedom uh, Samaritan's Purse had to be very careful in the way that they went to uh, the government to report certain things because they didn't want Christian organizations in Bolivia. Um, oh. Wow. Are you guys ever in danger uh, considering there's these cartels probably that exist there in Bolivia right now? Uh, in the area that we live in, yes, that is a danger. Um, and, and it was crazy. Like, uh, um, my wife and I last month, I haven't gotten a haircut in a month, but last month I went to get a haircut and the guy's like, where are you from? And I'm like, Oh, I'm Colombian. And he goes, Oh, you, you're a narco. 
he was like, dude, cocaine, man. And I'm like, no, I'm not that type of Colombian. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, the only reason this city is still functioning is because of Colombians, because you guys brought all the coke money here. And I was just kind of like, okay. And there is, there is a lot of Colombians here. Mm. And the sad thing is most of the times when I tell people I'm Colombian, they assume instantly that I'm a drug trafficker or a narco. Um, but that's just not, not the reality. Now, I'd rather say I'm Colombian here than American. There's still, um, you know, Bolivians love the United States as a whole, but Evo Morales was not a fan of the United States. He was always aligned with Russia and Venezuela. So it was kind of like that side. Now the government's changed. They love the U.S. They're kind of like, you know, welcoming us. But there's still a lot of people here, especially in the city that we live in, that love the old president, especially in the Indian community. So the way that I typically go about it is I leave politics completely out of it. I'm just there to share the love of Christ and to provide a uh, humanitarian aid. Yeah, wow, gosh. And that, that whole idea of a, of a narco state, I mean, you – you spent your childhood mostly growing up in the, the United States, if I'm correct, right? Uh, kind of. I, I grew up, I was born and raised in Colombia. And I, huh. I lived there until I was 12. And then I moved to the, to the U.S. So gotcha. uh, my okay. childhood is in Colombia, more of 10 years in the U.S. Gotcha. Okay. Because I'm, I'm learning more and more about how um, that corruption amongst the cartels goes up to such high ranks. I'm just finding yeah. out. There's this guy uh, I, I started to follow. His name was uh, Ed's Manifesto on, um, on Instagram. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he, he's an ex-cop, um, uh, ex-Mexican cop. Um, and he has a lot of information regarding what's happening currently with the cartels and all, all this stuff. Uh, pretty cool site. Um, but what I'm finding out is that the corruption is not just people who are just evil, but it's also people who are living in fear because they're scared. People come to them and say, hey, you're going to do this to make this drug drop for us or we're going to kill all your family, your children in front of your eyes. So there's corruption now out of based on, on fear rather than just corruption for the greed of it. But it just goes up to so many different levels. And exactly what you're saying is right with that hopelessness kind of just growing and growing, it does definitely bring in the need, I think, desperation for people to look out for light. And I think that's kind of something that you've kind of been doing everywhere you go. Um, why don't you explain a little bit about how you, maybe that upbringing, how you went from the Colombian Chachi and then coming to the States for a while and kind of your involvement in, in ministry. I know your, 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 your dad, Pastor Hector, um, someone I really look up to, uh, played a large role in that. So maybe you can explain a little bit about uh, your upbringing in Colombia. Yeah. So like I said before, I was born in Colombia in a small city called Via Vicencio, which is about uh, two hours south of Bogota, the capital. And um, yeah, I was born in the 90s there. And it was, it was crazy growing up uh, in Colombia during that time. It was super dangerous. We're talking about Pablo Escobar times. We're talking about, uh, you know, people getting shot in the streets and essentially a, a drug war going on while we were little. So it was crazy growing up uh, in that environment. It was so normal for us to hear gunfire or to, you know, see uh, something crazy going on uh, or to hear bombs going off in our, in, our, uh, in our city. This is just something that we grew up with. So my mom went to the United, to, I'm sorry, my mom went to Columbia, I believe it was in the 80s, 
uh, to, um, to be a missionary. She ended up meeting my dad, who was a youth pastor at a Calvary Chapel down there. Um, they got married. My dad ended up taking over the church as a senior pastor of the church. Uh, at a fairly long, uh, young age, he was, I believe, 24 when he started pastoring the church. And, um, and yeah, my, my, my mom had uh, my brother, Joey, my sister, Nikki, and myself. We were all born in Colombia. And, yeah, we grew up our entire life there until I was 12. Uh, when I was 12, my grandpa got really sick, um, and he was going to die. So my mom was like, we're going to go and visit grandpa and say goodbye to him. So we came to the States. And while we were here, we began seeing that my family was receiving threats, you know, threats from um, uh, the guerrillas, which is called the FARC, which is the uh, Revolutionary Forces mm. of Colombia. And so um, my family began to receive threats. So my mom was like, no, we, we can't go back. And my dad was like, no, you guys need to stay there for a little while. Uh, what a little while ended up turning into about six months until my family uh, felt that the Lord was calling us to stay in the U.S., so we, um, we sold our house in Colombia. We moved everything. We moved everyone. And we, we just stayed here in the States. And yeah. we lived at the church uh, for a while. Why were they receiving threats real quick? If you could explain that. Well, because my mom's, nor uh, she's, she's an American. And in Colombia, once the fact that, uh, once people know that you're an American, they immediately think that you have money. So they try to kidnap. So that's what we were receiving threats. They were looking to kidnap uh, my brother and my sister and I. Um, and, and that's the part that's kind of crazy. So um, we moved to the U.S. when we were 12. We had to leave everything. And that, that had a huge impact in my life. That had a huge um, effect in me because I didn't speak English that well. So when I moved here to the U.S., I, I didn't have any friends. I couldn't really uh, communicate very well with people. Um, I moved to Brea, right by Anaheim. Uh, and I went to, uh, you know, Brea Linda Junior High, which is just a bunch of white kids and Korean kids and maybe a couple uh, Latinos with me. Mm -hmm. but, um, but it was a hard time. You know, it was a hard time because I, I, I couldn't communicate well. Um, I wasn't doing good in school. And so, um, you know, it's hard leaving all your friends and family and everything you ever knew behind. Uh, I, already, I remember um, crying one day and I was just telling my dad, like, I hate it here. I want to go back to Colombia. And then my dad began to weep and he goes, I don't like it here either. I want to go back to Columbia. Wow. That we have to be here. He goes, this is where the Lord has us now. And that, in, that impacted my life because I was like, dude, my dad's crying with me. He's, he's going through the same thing I am because my dad couldn't speak English very well. And yet he was dropped into this position at the church working as a pastor. And, you know, I could feel that he, he probably had his own stress and his own difficulties going on. So, yeah, it was crazy coming here when we were 12 and kind of having to restart our life. And like I said, we lived at the church. <laughs> we lived with Pastor Rawl in his house. Um, that was the funniest thing is, you know, uh, they gave me and my brother, Joey, Ryan's bedroom. So we had Ryan's room and we went through his closet and stole all of his shoes. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it was all his circus shoes that were gone. <laughs> we took yeah. them. Uh, I don't think Ryan knows this, so hopefully he doesn't find out. But, uh, okay. you know, it's just... <laughs> Oh, Rawl and Sharon just opened their home to us. A bunch of crazy kids from South America. Like, that didn't last long. But, you know, it was just, it was awesome to see that. And, uh, and for us to live at the church. Uh, we lived at the church for quite a while. There was a small apartment they used for missionaries upstairs at Golden Springs. And, and that was like my playground. My, my house was huge. And I ran around the church. And it was just an, an awesome time 
growing up there. But uh, yeah, that was, that was when we came to the U.S. And then high school and, and everything was, was, was tough uh, for me as well, just because, you know, we all go through the motions. We all go, um, you know, growing up in church, you, you learn to speak Christian really quickly. You learn to blend in when, it, when, it, when it's good for you to do that. And then when you go to school, you, you don't want to be associated with being a Christian. You're embarrassed that anybody hears you uh, talk about Jesus and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, uh, and so that was just, you know, some things that were kind of crazy, uh, kind of growing up in the States and in Colombia. But uh, even though I'm uh, half American and half Colombian, um, my heart has always been in South America. And that's one thing that I'm, I'm glad that the Lord has brought me back here. And, uh, and my wife, you know, she's Colombian. We, we grew up together. Uh, known her since I was two years old. And, uh, you know, it's just a blessing that the Lord had her in my life and, and kind of called her to be my wife. So, wow. And, and, uh, and called me to be her husband. That's awesome, dude. I might, <laughs> I hope you don't so look part of that, that. What's that? What's it called? I, I think uh, my first memory, I think we're getting a little audio interference, but um, my first memory of you, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, was uh, on a high school retreat. Uh, somebody bombed the, uh, the toilet literally with a cherry bomb and blew it up. And uh, we were at um, San Onofre, no, Leo Carrillo State Beach. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember that <laughs> somebody got in trouble for that. I don't know if you recall that. Can you still hear me? I can hear you, but uh, I don't know what talking about i don't know who blew up <laughs> okay gotcha yeah no, we'll, we'll that later. <laughs> no i'm just kidding yeah that was a, that was a terrible decision and i can say i can honestly say deep down it was not my idea uh somebody brought the fireworks somebody uh -huh. brought a lighter and they were afraid <laughs> to light it i'll like, do it yeah that that decision has changed my life dramatically so Okay. Uh, it definitely changed God's life too. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, I will say this: God definitely used that in uh, my life to have me realize who you were at a, such a young age. And then later on, when you came back into my life on a, a few missions trips, I think we had this um, kind of like kinmanship. Um, when you uh, kind of started to become into your college years, I know kind you you kind of went through some different phases, uh, religiously, uh, I'll say that for now. Um, well, why don't you describe some of how you kind of your upbringing in your walk with the Lord right now? That's a good question. Um, so when I was in high school, I had to be homeschooled because I just couldn't do school. I was just, uh, I would get so distracted. I never did homework and, uh, I just didn't really apply myself. So, um, when I turned 18, I um, was able to get out of school early, did my GED thing, and I joined the Marine Corps. So I, I oh, well, <laughs> I guess I got to tell the story before that. So I was, I was playing video games for years, and I, I, I've always loved gaming, and I was really good at them. Me and my brother were gaming a lot. We were actually uh, picked up to be on a professional gaming team, so we were gaming like 40 hours a week at least. It was like a full-time job, just gaming all the time. And I was actually making money uh, from okay. gaming. And, and so uh, we were winning tournaments and we were doing these things. Uh, Call of Duty, of course. And so my mom, I remember one day came into the room. She was all mad. She disconnected the internet. She was like, um, 
she was like, either you get a job or you move out. Like, I'm done. We're, we're not doing this anymore. You're up all night. You sleep all day. And you're always in your room playing games. Because either you, you get a job or you move out. We're done. And I was like, okay. And I was all mad. And at this time, my really good friend, he's my best friend to this day. His name is Josh Angiano. You know, you know Nibs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Nibs was all gun-ho about the Marine Corps. He was like, dude, I'm going to join the Marines. I'm going to be a sniper, this and that. And I was like, whatever, man, I'm going to join the Peace Corps. I would always make fun of him for that. I was like, because at that time, I was kind of like, a, I wanted to join the Greenpeace or the Peace Corps and just be a hippie and live out in the fields doing stuff. And so I remember I applied to be in the Peace Corps and they're like, you need a bachelor's degree. You, you can't, you don't get applied. You, you can't make it. And I was like, dang it. So I was like trying to figure out, I was like, what I'm going to do. And, and, and uh, Josh was like, you should talk to my recruiter. So I was like, all right, let's go. So I went in and I told Josh, okay, I told Josh, I want to talk to your recruiter. Mm -hmm. So he we went and talked to the recruiter. The guy's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't care. And he goes, all right, sign right here. <laughs> Literally a week later, I called my mom and he was like, let's go to LA. We're going to do a test and did my ASVAB test, did everything. Super short notice, like bam, everything was done and quick and everything. So I came back home and my mom, and I was like, hey mom, I got a job. And she was so excited. She said, really? And I'm like, yes, and I'm moving out. And she was like, what? And I'm like, I'm joining the Marines. And she's like, when are you leaving? I'm like, I'm actually leaving next week on Mother's Day. So it was Mother's Day and I shipped out to, to basic training. So yeah. happy Mother's Day, mom. <laughs> happy Mother's Day. I, I still love that story to this day because <laughs> it's such a chachi move to just yeah. be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not what you wanted, mama. But uh, I love my mom. And you know my mom. My mom's awesome. Yeah, Holly's awesome. <laughs> and so um, I joined the Marine Corps. I joined the Marine Corps at 18. I actually got really lucky because I could have gotten stuck doing any job, you know, cleaning toilets or, you know, uh, being a cook or something like that, which is all very important jobs. Uh, but in the Marine Corps, everybody's scared of getting that job because I went open contract. I was just like, put me wherever you want to go. Um, because my original wish is I wanted to be in the infantry. I wanted to go shoot people and be at war and do what I was doing in Call of Duty, you know, mm -hmm. ignorantly thinking that I was going to be some sort of a war hero or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and I got stuck being a mechanic. So I was a heavy diesel mechanic and, and I loved the job, um, being able to work on stuff and machines and whatnot. So I did four years in the Marine Corps. I did one uh, tour to Afghanistan in 2009. And when I came back from my tour to Afghanistan, um, it, was, it was a little bit difficult because we did have hard times over there. Um, you know, we did lose a couple people. And I guess it was just going through very difficult situations that happened while I was there um, affected me in certain ways. And I didn't really think anything affected me. I, I didn't come back. Um, you know, a lot of people come back claiming that they're, you know, Rambo and doing all this type of stuff. That wasn't ever really my deal. I was just, I came back um, smoking a lot of cigarettes and knowing that I had anxiety. Um, I came back not being able to sleep. So I was drinking a lot. And, um, and I came back with a, with a good deep set depression that was going on in my head. I just, you know, I would freak out all the time. I would wake up, I'd have nightmares, I'd have night terrors. Um, and it was, it was crazy because, um, you know, I, I met so many people that went through so many crazy stuff while they were deployed and they're totally fine. They're like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. Uh, so I don't know why it affected me in, in that way. Um, but when I came back, I met this girl and she was Jewish. 
So I started talking to her, started dating. Her dad was like, here, come on, come on over. We're going to talk to you. So I was like, all right, cool. And they're like, here's the bottom line, dude. He's like, you cannot date my daughter unless you're Jewish. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, I'm like, what do I have to do? And they're like, you have to convert to Judaism. Mm-hmm. And I was like, at this point, I did not have a relationship with the Lord. At this point, I was not walking with God. And so I had nothing to lose. I was like, cool, let's do it, man. Uh, what do I have to do? Went to temple, um, met with the rabbi, uh, started doing everything. So for three years, I actually practiced Judaism, um, kept a law to the best of my ability, which is not very good. You know, there's, <laughs> that's just the bottom line is we're human and, and we're not perfect. And we can't keep the law. Because if we were able to keep the law, then Jesus died for no reason. So we can't keep the law. And the truth is that um, I began down this slippery slope. It was crazy. Uh, At first, I was like, you know what? I'm not cool with Christmas. Christmas is pagan. We need to celebrate Hanukkah. We need to celebrate Passover. We need to celebrate Sukkot. All these other uh, holidays because they're biblical and because this and that. So I I became very legalistic. So it was like that slippery slope. Then I started um, making sure that I only ate kosher. And so I was always like, hey, you can't eat pork. The word of God calls it an abomination, this and that. And so I started becoming very judgmental. And I started becoming very hateful and prideful in everything that I did. You know, I wore a kippah or a yarmulke in my head all the time. My head was always covered. Um, I was, uh, it, was, it was crazy to the extent that this went, um, you know, um, and, and I went through all these things to be able to be uh, baptized as an Orthodox Jew in the Chabad of Irvine, um, all to marry this girl. And then we were sitting in the Shabbat table. So this is our, uh, our Sabbath meal that we have every Friday night. We were sitting there and everything was great. We're about three months away, four months away from the wedding. We were already talking all the details, uh, getting ready to kind of tie the knot when... Um, this girl's mom looks at me and she goes, Joshua, you know, we don't believe in Jesus. And we know that he's not, you know, that we know he's not the Messiah. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's on you. Like you, you can believe whatever you want. He goes, but we need you to profess in front of the rabbi and in front of our family that you don't believe in Jesus and that he's not your savior and that he's not the And up to this point, I was able to do everything. I was able to leave my friends. I was able to leave the church. I was able to leave my family. I was able to stop going to Golden Springs and be totally fine. Mm -hmm. But something deep down inside me always knew one thing, that I knew who Jesus was. Why? Because my parents did a good job of telling me who Jesus was. And Jesus was my savior. He was my Messiah. He was... um, you know, he was, he was it. There was no doubt about it in my mind. If there was one thing that I knew to be true was who Christ was in my life. Even though I was so far separated from him, um, I had that truth buried deep down in my heart. And I felt in that moment, my heart just dropped and it just straight to my stomach. You know, I could feel like I couldn't, I, I just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say you know, three years of my life dedicated to this woman, to, to being in a relationship, to, to keeping kosher, to keeping the law, to leaving my friends and everything. But I could not do this. And yeah. so I got up. I remember it was the most awkward thing because I got up and they're looking at me like, what the heck is he doing? I got up and I walked out the front door. 
And I didn't even close the door. I like walked. I was like shocked. I got in my car and I drove home. And my mom remembers this night because I got home and I cried. Mm. And I cried. And I'm talking about maybe a couple hours with my mom just weeping and crying. And she praying over me. And she's saying, you know what? You need to just be truthful and honest with yourself. And so the next day I went back and I, you know, explained myself to her parents. And I said that I'm so sorry, but I have to call off the engagement because I couldn't live with a lie. I couldn't live knowing deep down in my heart that I denounced Christ. And then now I'm supposed to pretend my whole life that I don't believe in Jesus. It was just something that I knew deep down to be truth in my, in my life. Um, so it impacted me. I was, dude, it was crazy. I think we all go through these um, different emotions and different things when we go through a breakup. But it's tough when you leave all your friends and all your family and all your support group behind for someone else. And then now you have to leave that group behind and you're by yourself. Yeah. God so, is stripping you, stripping everything from you. Everything. It was, it was crazy. So I, um, yeah, that, that ended up happening. I, I, you know, it, it was crazy, but I didn't come back to the Lord right away. And this is the thing that is key. Anytime I share my testimony with someone is like, I was running away. I didn't want to deal with it. So I was like, dude, I'm not, I don't want to be in California right now. I don't want to be anywhere near. I don't want to run into her. I don't want to run into her family. I don't want anything, any, I just wanted to run away. So I moved to Hawaii uh, with my cousin. He's, he's my brother's wife's cousin. So he's somehow we're related. <laughs> we like to call each other cousins. Uh, his name's Ryan. And I moved with him in, in Oahu and we were living in Honolulu in this house. And the entire time I was there, I was just sad and I was depressed and I was just broken and crying. And I remember we were just kind of drinking and just kind of like partying and, and I was just kind of bumming it. I was just, I was literally went to the store and bought the biggest bottle of rum I could buy. And I was just drinking that all day. Just, I was just hammered all the time. And I called everybody on my phones, on my phone list. I was just like drunk calling everybody crying. And this it was, it was a, it was a mess. It was a real big mess. And I remember I was down at the beach in North Shore and I heard music playing from a building and I heard reggae music. And you know, when you're faded, you know, reggae just draws you, it just calls you. There's something about the, the sound. You're like, dude, yeah, I want to jam. So I went in there and I'm jamming in this small little church. And I noticed it's a church after I went in, but there's people with no shoes, no shirt on. It's Hawaii. I guess that's just the thing. People mm -hmm. in just board shorts chilling at church. So I was confused. I was like, no, this, this can't be a church. And then I see the guys singing and these guys are just, you know, jamming reggae music. And I was like, dude, I know this. And it's Christ of Far Eye. Oh, nice. They've come to our church a couple times. And I've always loved when they come to church. So they're praying and they're jamming. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And then I see the pastor take his place in the front. And I was like, all right, dude, I got to bounce. I'm like, you know, the message is about to come. I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't, but I was like trying to figure out, I'm like, how do I get out of here without making it awkward? And then the lights flip on the pastor. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll just stay. And I sat down and I listened to the message. It did absolutely nothing for me. It didn't hurt. It didn't, I didn't, it didn't affect my heart. It didn't, it didn't touch my spirit. Nothing for me. And I was like, cool, great message, dude. I went to God. That's how hard and callous my heart was. I did not want to receive anything. And I was about to get up, and the pastor comes up to me. He's like, hey. I'm like, hey. He goes, you're Pastor Hector's son, aren't you? 
and my heart just breaks. I was, wow. like, I was like, what? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you're Pastor Hector's son. And I was like, I was like, how do you know that? And he goes, I went with your dad to Israel in the 80s when I was 16. And somehow I resemble my, I don't really look like my dad. <laughs> but somehow he was like, I just know you're Pastor Hector's son. And I'm just like, broke down, dude. I just cried my eyes out to this guy, this, this pastor that I had just met. And he just poured into me. And I just realized in that moment, the Lord told me, there's no place that you can't go where I will not chase you and follow mm. He goes, and and that's the thing. It, it, just, it just came to me um, in that moment. The next day, I was sitting at North Shore with my friend, Ryan. And he says that every time he sees this moment, because I was at peace with God. And I was floating in the water. And he said, do you look just like Lieutenant Dan? after he had made peace with God. And so I was just sitting in the water and I had this like vision and I don't, I don't want to over spiritualize it. It was just like, I was daydreaming and I had this vision of a giant fish swallowing me and spitting me up in the Amazon out in the jungle where we had been the year prior. And, and then somehow I knew in my heart, I need to go to the Amazon. I need to go back to the jungle. And I did that. I, I moved back home to California. I told my parents I rededicated my life, but I wanted to, to get away from everything. So I'd spend some time with Pastor Dale, uh, kind of doing a little bit of um, sharing with him. And, and he was just encouraging me, telling me what to read, what to take with me. And I went to the Amazon. I didn't take any money. I didn't take any, uh, any sort of stuff. I just took kind of like fishing gear and hunting gear. And I wanted to rough it. I wanted to survive out there. And I spent... I believe it was almost, almost nine months. It was eight months that I lived in the Amazon um, with the tribe there. And all I did was read my word. I, I, I read my entire Bible that uh, those eight months and started going back and deep diving into some books. And it wasn't until I got to the book of Romans that it completely broke my heart because it made me realize just how beautiful God's grace for us truly is. Mm. It made me realize the love that Christ has for us. And, and, and for him to love someone like me, it just changed my life, completely, radically changed my life um, because I used to not smile. I used to not have uh, emotions. I didn't really care. I was very, uh, I don't know. I was just very apathetic towards anything. I just didn't care. And yet now God has completely shattered my heart and, you know, uh, and, and made me a big softy. So it's just uh, beautiful to see what the Holy Spirit has been doing in my life. And, and I love the work that he keeps doing in my life every day. That's when I reconnected with my wife and found out that we're getting married. It was just the Lord showed us in his word. And I'm like, you're my wife. And she was like, okay, yeah, you're my husband. Awesome. <laughs> I, I remember you sharing with me um, that you fell in love with Paul's writings. Because I remember when I, when I did meet you, you were exactly in that phase, that Jewish phase. And I remember you kind of were kind of very legalistic. Um, yeah. and still loving, still loving, still knew, And I knew, I sensed that you knew who Jesus was, all of that. And then you were at the same time, very in the rituals and the Jewish cer ceremonies. But then later on, when I had met you or, or spoke with you, I think sometime after that, you told me that, or I think you told me or Scott, but I happened to be there that you fell in love with Paul's writings. And I'm thinking, referring to Romans in particular. Yeah, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians. I, you know, there's, um, there's just something that, you know, and, and I love that 
that the Lord used the book of Romans to break Martin Luther's heart, you mm. know, and it just showed us that this is a book that, that breaks away all the ritualistic, all the religion, all the uh, legalistic mindset and just puts it down to the work of the cross and what God did, you know, through his son on the cross. And that was just giving us that beautiful grace. And so, yeah, I completely fell in love with Paul's writings because it was a, you know, it was, a, it was a, uh, a breath of fresh air in my life. So that was a part that was really exciting. Gosh, that's awesome. So you said you knew your wife since you were two years old and then somehow miraculously you guys are now married because I know you traveled all around the world, but God brought you two together. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, she was, when I was in the Amazon, she was my point of contact to the outside world because she lived in Bogota, the capital. So I would, I would text her from this old phone that I had where I would call her and I'd be like, hey, can you tell my parents I'm still alive? I'm doing good. Uh, send repellent, you know, insect repellent. So she was that point of contact. And I remember after a few months of being in the Amazon, the Lord began to kind of open my heart and be like, you know what, this girl, which was your point of contact, has been in your life, your whole life. And, um, and she goes, and then I started to pray. I was like, well, hey, Lord, I want to pray, see if this is my wife. And the thing that's interesting is my mom has been so certain my whole life she's always been certain every time i had a girlfriend my mom would be like why are you with that girl angelica is your wife and i'm like whatever mom angelica is not my wife but she always said it she goes angelica is your wife and so that was the part that i thought was really interesting uh that somehow she knew um, mom's intuition yeah we started praying and it was crazy how the lord brought us together because um angelica had uh, not had a boyfriend in many years. She was kind of like guarding her heart. She knew that the Lord was going to bring her husband, but she didn't want to go out there. And, and especially not with Chachi. She was like, my mom was like, don't pay any attention to him. He's crazy. Uh-huh. You know, so my mom was warning her about me. Um, but I guess the more she got to see the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and how much God was transforming me down there, she just fell in love with that work. She fell in love with the man that God was um, making me. You know, and, and so that was the thing that was really interesting. Uh, my wife had three different things that she had asked the Lord and had written him down and said, Lord, this is what my husband's going to have to do in order for me to know that you've called him to be my husband. Number one, he has to approach us and ask if we could pray about a relationship, not just write in, jump into a relationship, but just bring the, the entire aspect into the spiritual realm of saying, let's bring this before God and see if there's anything here. Mm. I was like, okay, cool. Second one is this man has to tell me he loves me first because she'd always been the first one to say, I love you in a relationship. And typically women usually are the first ones. They're a little bit more uh, emotional and sentimental. So they speak those emotions a lot more freely than men. Uh, So she was like, nope, he's going to tell me he loves me first. And I was like, I didn't know about this list. And the third one, it had to be confirmed in the scriptures. So I was like, okay, cool. So I didn't know anything about this list. So after a few uh, months of being in the Amazon, I was just like, Angelica, I was like, I really want us to pray to see if there's anything here and, and to see if God has anything between you and me. And she was like, okay, that's weird. Fine, let's pray. So we started praying. And um, because of the issues that I've had before, uh, where I was very cold hearted, I was very callous, I didn't feel any love or emotions for people for a long time. It took me two weeks of praying with this girl to just blur it out. 
during one of our nights that we were talking. And of course, you know, it's that first love, that fresh love that you're just like all the time on the phone. Mm-hmm. And, and it was nighttime and I was, she was like, all right, good night. And I was like, all right, good night. I love you. And she was, <laughs> she was like, and then my heart just dropped. She's like, did I just say that? Like, oh my gosh, I'm sweating. I'm like all red. And she was like, what did you say? And I'm like, don't, don't make me say it again. Like, come on, man. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, I love you. She's like, you love me? And I'm like, yeah. And I started crying. <laughs> it's nice. yeah, it pretty embarrassing. But I was like, yeah, I love you. I was like, I, I know, I know that it's, it's recent. I knew that, th- I know that this is new, but I've known in my heart that I've loved you my whole life. And she started crying and whatever. So a few weeks later, uh, I was like, hey, I'm going to go into the jungle, like really deep into the jungle for a week on a missionary trip. There's no signal. There's nothing there. I'm going to be gone for a week. I want you to ask the Lord to show you something special in his word. And she was like, cool. So as we're traveling through the jungle, about three days later of going into the jungle, I approached this school, schoolhouse. And you remember the schools over there? Everybody painted the schools. Like they had huge murals. It's like a thing in the Amazon. They love to paint murals. And so there was this man and a woman holding hands, watching the sunset on the Amazon. And the guy painted a scripture above it. And he said, Songs of Solomon 8, 7, the many waters cannot quench this love. And I took a picture of it with my camera. And I was just kind of like, uh, really um, meditating on that word that whole week. And I was like, Lord, how beautiful that your love for us is never quenched and no matter what happens. And then not only that, but the way that we see songs of Solomon is, you know, Christ's relationship with the church and that beautiful love relationship that he wants us to have with our wives because we're to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And I was just thinking, I was like, man, and Haley and I have gone through so many things. We've been separated at 12 years old. She was my first girlfriend, by the way, when I was 11. So that's the part that's crazy. So we got separated when we were 12, uh, went through all sorts of things. Uh, my wife has had to deal with a lot of crazy things. Her, her father was killed by the FARC, by the, uh, I'm sorry, now by the paramilitary forces, uh, revolutionary forces in Colombia when she was only eight. You know, at the age of 16, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. So she's had to go through crazy trials. Uh, me, you know, having to leave my friends and family, going to the U.S., uh, deploying to Afghanistan, coming back and dealing with all my PTSD, my depression and my anxiety and all these things, you know, being Jewish. So all these things were waters, were, were waters and, and storms in our lives. And yet that love that I had for Angelica was never really quenched and was never really burned out. So I was like, wow, what a beautiful scripture. So I get back to, uh, to the village after a few days and I was like, Angelica, did the Lord show you anything good? And she was like, no, I want you to go first. And I was like, okay. So I sent her this picture. I was able to show her later on this picture. And I was like, this guy was painting this scripture, Songs of Solomon 8, 7. And she was like, shut up. She was like, what? And I was like, Songs of Solomon 8, 7, the many waters cannot quench this love. And I explained what the Lord had showed me. And she was like, that's the exact same scripture that I've been meditating on for four days. Wow. The Lord brought it to me. And I was just like, and at that moment, she tells me about this list. She tells me that the guy had to say, we're going to pray, that the guy was going to say he loves you first, and that the Lord was going to confirm it in his scripture. In that very moment, I was like, okay, we're getting married. And right. she's like, sounds good. Let's do it. So just like that, we, we got married. I guess that was the proposal. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we came back to the States. Three months later, she came in. I moved in with a friend, and she lived with my parents. Uh, for a few months, and uh, everybody was like, 
how are you getting married so quick? You just met this girl. And I was like, dude, I've known this girl since I was two. Mm. Like Scott's known this girl her whole life too. Um, and so it was really funny because a lot of people were like, dude, who is this girl? Like, how are you getting married so fast? And I was like, dude, it's my wife, man. I've known her for my entire life and the Lord had this prepared for us. So it's been great. We've been married for six years, no kids yet. You know, uh, we, we love living that, that life on the road and seeing where God takes us. Mm-hmm. We're praying maybe one day he will bring us kids. Uh, or now we just have two dogs and we love our <laughs> yeah when it's god man it's it's god dude that's when you know when you know and then um if he wants you to have kids right now dude you're not going to be able to stop him with that either <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's cool man so you guys are out there right now um i'm sure you guys miss your family back home uh i'm sure there's a lot of uh of struggle a lot of trials that you guys are enduring currently um gosh uh what what is some of the 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 struggles right now? How can people be praying for you, uh, for you and your life and your your mission right now in this season? Well, like like I said before, um, I don't think any of us have ever seen a situation like we have right now. You know, um, we are on lockdown until April fifteenth, but everybody is expecting that to be moved until probably the end of May. Um, yeah. And, you know, of course, uh, you, get, you get a little bit uh, bored of being home all day, being anxious. And I love the work that I do. I love the, the villages. I love the people. And I guess just lift up all the people here who, who can't afford to buy groceries, who have lost their jobs, who have no idea where their next meal is going to come from. So just pray that the Lord uh, provides for them. That's one of the things we're praying for right now. Uh, as part of our disaster relief efforts is uh, being able to acquire the permits from the government to be able to um, move in our vehicles because everybody's on lockdown. I'm not allowed to go outside, Uh, but to be able to go into the poor areas, to go into the communities where people have completely lost everything and give them food and give them maybe just a little bit of hope and to share with them the love of Jesus Christ, that they're not forgotten. So just pray for that. It breaks my heart because, um, you know, for us in, in, in so many different places, we have, we have supplies, we have our jobs, we have our, our food and our necessities. And, and to understand that, man, there's so many people that are just um, facing food insecurity and they have no idea where their next meal is going to come from. It's heartbreaking. So we just got to pray for people. You um, got to pray for, for healing, you know, um, especially, you know, I'm praying for you guys because, um, the U.S. is going through such a difficult time, just like Italy and so many places. Uh, I'm praying and, and lifting you guys up as well. But just, you know, safety and, and for our health as well. Um, the thing with South American countries is I don't know how long this can go when people don't have food, when people don't have jobs and don't have um, that economic security, they riot. And so we're just hoping that everybody stays calm and that they abide by the law because it's, it's crazy. You know, South America, it's so, so easy for things to go bad really quickly and become very insecure. So we're just praying for security and for peace and for everybody to be okay. Right. I, I definitely see this as a test for sure. Um, God using this as a test. One of the ideas that always comes to my mind when it, when it comes to testing actually has to do with you, me going out into the Amazon jungle in the middle of the night 
gosh, uh, we were expecting, I think just maybe like an hour to two hours of like a nice little hike, scenic hike where we, and then the idea was we're going to go hunting. Right. And then I remember you had some guy, some Amazonian, he looked like he was probably like 120 years old. Uh, He was old. And we went out there and with maybe about a group of about 12 of us and we're thinking okay it's going to be short we have a little maybe like most people brought like a water bottle with them so we start going out there and we're going and it's cool the amazon we only start getting into the deep part of it you start to see the big bugs the giant grasshoppers the giant spiders you hear a lot of sounds a lot of birds throughout of it and as we're going i remember just getting tired and more tired and we're like man like we, we are moving like we're going and so the guy was supposed to take us if you remember to, to look for the monkeys, dude, we're going to look for the monkeys. And as we're going out to look for these monkeys, it's now it's like, okay, two hours have gone by, three hours have gone by, four hours have gone by. And the deeper in that we go, I just remember thinking like, we got to walk all this way back. Like we didn't even bring enough water for the next couple of hours. Like we're we're definitely short on supply. So we're going deeper in so much so (laughs) that the majority of our group, stayed back at some little shack that we found in the middle of the Amazon. And then the ancient Amazonian guide took you and me, dude. And he was like, we're going to keep going for the monkeys. And everyone else stayed back to rest. And we kept going. It's in the middle of the night. And this is the interesting thing. I remember the whole time praying because I really at this point was like, like, I want to catch a monkey or I want to see an animal get caught on this adventure. I didn't want to go back empty handed. I didn't want to feel like uh, we came back empty handed. And I was just praying, okay, God, please, please allow us to get something. I want to go back with something. And I just remember nothing was happening. We didn't see anything. And I remember feeling like, you know what, God, like, it's probably like my lack of faith. I don't have enough faith. Maybe it's just, it's my, the sin in my life, God, like for some reason, you're not allowing us to catch anything. And it came to a point where I just said, okay, you know what, God, this has been an awesome experience. So like, even if you don't bring us any catch for, for the night, I, I thank you for the adventure and for the journey. And then right as I kind of had that mentality, all of a sudden it's just you, me, this Amazonian like huntsman, and you just hear a boom, this huge explosion go off. And I was like, what the heck is that? And all of a sudden he pulls out this giant, it's called a spotted paca. I looked it up yeah. later on. It looks like a giant guinea pig. It's huge. A giant guinea pig, yeah. <laughs> and he shot its snout and then he, he went over and killed it. And then I remember thinking like God was kind of showing me like, Hey, like, uh, he was with us the whole time. And sometimes his plan for our life, not sometimes, but all the time, his plan for our life is way better than we could have imagined. And, you know, sometimes it's not exactly what we think it's going to happen. And I think that's for me just been a testimony in my life of, you know, the Bible verse, a man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his path. And that's, I think, what reigned true in both you and my life is that we are, we have these plans and we have these desires to go out and do a great work of God, but God is going to lead and guide every step of the way. So it's something that I just remember that, that experience of, of being out there in the Amazon. And I, I think I want to encourage if anyone's listening, um, you know, open yourself up to the adventure that God has for your life. Even if it's something as crazy as missions work, 
If God wants you to go, he will provide everything, everything you need. So go out and take that step of faith. Um, but gosh, Josh, I, I think that uh, you are, are, are being used mightily right now. It's cool to see. I, literally, I was just thinking, I, I want to reach out to people right now who are, um, gosh, being used by God. And I want to hear their stories. I want to hear what, what's going on in their life. So I just happened to see you on my feed on Facebook. And I was like, man, you know what? I haven't, I haven't talked to Joshua in a, in a while. So I wanted to see how you're doing. It's great to, to have you. Um, so with everything that we've, we've kind of been talking about, um, is there anything else kind of you wanted to share uh, in, in this conversation? Yeah, I, remember, I remember that, that walk into the Amazon that night and it was hell. It, it was. was. <laughs> it was like nine hours. It was horrible. It was like nine <laughs> hours walking. And the guy, the worst part was that about an hour in, the guy was like, no, we're right here. We're, we're really close by. And about like six hours in, he's like, yeah, we're right here. We're really close by. And that was his mentality. Everything was right here. And that drove me crazy. And I remember you and me were the only ones that could hang in there. And we stayed with him and we went over there. And I remember you and me were in the dark and every little thing that moved, we were like, dude, it's right there. Dude, it's right there. Like we were just ended up starting to see things. It was so funny. Yeah. And uh, my favorite part of that story is when we came back and we were exhausted, we were dehydrated. And we were like, I was like, I couldn't walk anymore. I had really bad feet. So my feet were jacked up. And so I remember we came upon this huge field of pineapples. Oh, that's right. And my dad was like, wild pineapples. And we cut, we were like locusts. We destroyed this field of pineapple. Everybody was eating pineapple. It was the sweetest, most delicious pineapple I've ever tasted in my life. I think because we were like about to die of dehydration. So we ate this. And I remember we came back to the village. And the next day, the pastor was like, hey, did you guys uh, find a field of pineapple? Because this old lady's saying that somebody destroyed her entire crop. Wow, <laughs> no way. <laughs> Scott and my dad, they felt so bad. They paid the lady for all the pineapples. But it was, it was so funny. She was like, what happened to my field? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, to this day, I have that pineapple since that moment has become my favorite fruit because of that, that very moment. I was like, it was so good. I just remember it was not only that, was it good, but we, if we didn't have that pineapple, I don't know if we would have made it back because we would have been so dehydrated. Yeah. Yeah. That was insane. Hey, real quick, maybe there, have you had any uh, really cool stories since your time? How many months have you been in Bolivia now? Uh, Since the end of January. So only about two months. Okay. Um, I, I just was, uh, watching your last video or, uh, maybe two videos ago and you were describing how, gosh, the little kids there, they don't even know their birthdays. And I was like, man, that, what a crazy culture to live in. That, that breaks my heart. Oh my gosh. My wife and I are praying about, um, starting this ministry. We've, we've been praying about it since, I think like maybe four years ago, we've been praying about it back in the States. We wanted to go to Mexico to orphanages and celebrate the birthdays of kids there who like most orphanages don't celebrate the birthdays of kids, mainly because probably they don't have the resources to do so, or they just lose track of so many kids. But I was always thinking, I was like, man, a birthday makes you feel so special, you know, to know that people celebrate the day you were born and nobody in the community celebrates birthdays and it breaks my heart it's just something that culturally they don't do wow and 
And I asked one of the kids, I was like, when's your birthday? And he was like, I don't know. And I'm like, how old are you? He goes, I don't know. And I asked his mom and I'm like, how old is he? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, let me see his ID. I'm like, dude, you're seven years old. And it was like a couple of them that we, we found. It was like, dude, your birthday was last week. Did you do anything? He's like, no. It's like, what's that? Like, what's a birthday type of thing? Mm-hmm. And so they don't, they don't have that. So my wife and I are praying about every village that we visit. If there is someone within that week that celebrates their birthday, we want to give them like a little cake and a little gift or something, like do something for them. Uh, but you just realize just how different cultures are. But um, yeah, and I, and I think that's just, I don't know, that, that affects them a lot because everybody loves to feel appreciated at least one day out of the year. And like, yeah. Do you, do you have any uh, any uh, stories from even even maybe not this past mission trip, but maybe this mission trip, but um, even before that have really just been kind of pivotal or like just really impacting moments when you're out there in the mission field? Yeah. Um, well, we had this one situation that just happened this last time that just showed me um, the importance of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit when you just feel that tug in your heart. And we were, we were going up the river and we pass a ton of communities as we go up the river. And um, there was, a, uh, there was a, a small little hut in the corner of the jungle. And I see this lady and everybody waves at us. So everybody sees us, everybody recognizes the boat. The boat's been going up into the jungle for the last 10 years. So everybody knows the boat and everybody waits for the boat. And so um, this is probably the only time they get medical or dental treatment is when that boat comes. So everybody's waiting for it. So I see this lady in a village who's not, it's not their turn to, we're not supposed to visit them until July. And I see this lady going like this and I was like, Hey, yeah, hi. And then I see her grab her baby, her child and lift them up towards us. And I was like, Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, baby. And then I felt something in my heart and I was like, something didn't seem right. And I told Gali, who's the, the, the our captain, the navigator, I was like, hey, Gali, did that look right to you? And he was like, eh, lady just waving with her baby. And I was like, no, nah, something doesn't feel right. I'm like, I'm going to take the small boat. So we have a couple of speed, kind of like fast, faster boats that are attached to our big boat. I was like, I'm going to take a team of doctors and we'll catch up with you later. Because the boat is slow. The small boats can go do things. And then we catch up to the big boat as it's going up the river. So I took two, three doctors with me. We took our full medical kit and team and everything. And we went there and sure enough, we showed up and there was a seven year old boy who the day before his mom was frying this huge pot of oil and she was frying plantains and she had asked the boy to move the pot and it was a boiling oil and the boy tripped and he covered his entire arm in boiling oil, his face and his leg. And, uh, and it was crazy because, um, dude, the kid couldn't move his arm. Like there was blisters the size of like oranges, like on his arm. Like I've never seen an arm that blistered and burnt. And the kid was just laying there, couldn't do anything. There was, it was flooded. Everything was, there was, it it smelled disgusting. There was, um, it was very dirty and, and there was a lot of like, easy ways for that kid to get a huge infection. So our doctors did a lot of work on him. They put ointment all over his arm. The entire time I was able to share the gospel with his mom, with his uh, family, and, and we left. And then instantly, right at that moment, the Lord showed me, he goes, you need to stay sensitive. Anytime you feel I call you, it's for a reason. And I was just thinking, I was like, Lord, how awesome that 
that you had us here at this moment to help this kid. So we came down another week later and his entire arm had healed. All the, all the skin had fallen off, which is when you get a big burn like that, that's what they want, the skin to fall off so that it can start to heal naturally. And, uh, and he's recovering and he's only seven years old, but it was just, I was just like, dude, I was, I felt, it felt awesome to be able to do that, but just to be able to share with them and encourage them uh, and to be there for that child was, was huge. And there's so many situations we see nowadays in, within the communities, you know, these people, you know, a lot of them are, are dealing with a lot of stuff. And so we've been able to help out with a lot of, uh, you know, domestic abuse issues that we saw there a lot of things we we, tr we can't really do much we can't really like go into a house and be like stay away from her we don't want it because then we leave and what's going to happen in that situation right but it's incredible to be able to encourage these parents and last story uh the last village we visited with my wife this really kind family was like we went out of our way we went deep into the jungle to visit this last um team uh, this last with our team this last community and and we didn't have any food that we had prepared yet we were going to make our own little lunch and they're like we want you to come to our house to have lunch and we're always really kind of like we don't really accept that too much because um our stomachs are not used to the food that they consume so we can get sick very easily and you know different things like that especially with our doctors that come from different places but we were like, okay, fine. We went over to their house and we had lunch. It was an incredible lunch. Literally a plate was just stacked with food. And it was so good and we ate the whole thing. And then my wife and I started talking to the husband and wife that invited us. And they're like, you know, we wanted you to have lunch because we appreciate you guys coming and, and taking care of our kids, taking care of our family and bringing medical healing. And they're like, we're the only Christians in town and everybody kind of, picks on us for that because it's a Catholic town and we encouraged them. And then they were like, yeah, you know, um, last year, um, our son died and we're like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, we were on our boat going down the river and right in front of us, our baby boy fell into the water and he never came back up. And we looked for him for weeks. We looked for him. We looked for him and finally we found him and it was just his skeleton that they found and he was four years old and his mom was like, and then the husband was like, um, a pastor told us that this happened to us because we weren't living a good life and because there was sin in our life and this is our fault. And it broke my, they were crying. Like my, my wife and I were there and these people were just crying because they were dealing with the guilt of losing a child and it was because of them. It was their fault. And, and so we were able to encourage them and to, to let them know that, you know what, he's not, he's not suffering anymore. <laughs> he's, he's with the Lord and, and he's now at peace and he's resting. And you have to understand that, that God uses everything, even the difficult things in our life, to bring us to him, to, to refocus us. And it wasn't because you did anything. That's not the God, that's not the God that we serve. God's not waiting for us with with the you know with a with a lightning bolt to just punish us at any moment no he's not and i told him that there's things in life that we just can't explain and that sometimes happen but we have to understand that god has a plan and we encouraged them we prayed over them and it was just such a beautiful time of ministering to these to these people 
Um, but we want to go see him again real soon. Uh, and it was just that. It was just this, this weight that you could see that was just the Lord taking off of them. Like, it's not your fault. It just happened. And it was just the Lord kind of showed my wife and I. I was like, man, there's so much spiritual healing that still needs to take place in the community. So we can't just focus so much on the medicine, on the dentist. Can't forget the ministry of the spirit, which needs to happen everywhere we go. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, situations like that. Gosh, and that's so awesome that you are now uh, just trying to be more and more sensitive to the spirit because I think we get so caught up with uh, the routine. We get so caught up with, with the function of ministry, even of missions, and we're out there, we're doing the Lord's work, which is all good. But just that little moment, had you not said, hey, let's stop and go back to this lady holding her baby up in the river, like that kid might still be suffering right now with infection. God's using all of this. And I think it's important. I think what's something that's awesome that's happening right now is I do see a lot of people being sensitive to the spirit, connecting with each other. Um, I feel like conversation itself is igniting again. Fellowship where we're talking now about the things of the Lord and what God's speaking in our hearts is being ignited again. I do remember being in Peru and I asked one of the, the villagers out there, um, this was in Lima, in the city. I think we went to uh, Pucallpa. While, we, while we were in Pucallpa, I, I asked one of the, the men who was there, who was involved in the church there, I asked him what he saw as kind of something that I could pray for, for the church there. And he explained to me that in Peru, there's a lot of churches, but they're all very divided and they're all they don't want to help each other and everyone's just so focused on self and on what their church is doing so that the other people on the out outside of that, they're not being ministered to. And I remember that impacted me in the sense of like, man, that that's very true. Cause here, even in the States, we could be that exact same way where we become divisive. We're not sensitive to what Christ has unified us in. And we're more focused on the things that are different about each other. We're more focused on the way people worship, on the way people look, uh, rather than being focused on who Christ is and in each other's lives. And so that's something I'm seeing right now. Our, our church is kind of every, the whole church as a whole. Right now, we're all being put in this spot where we're all kind of now going to the internet. We're all on that same level. People who had... Uh, massive churches to the smallest church. We're all now speaking through the same platform of the internet. And it's, it's kind of cool. And what I want to do is I want to be able to, when this is all over and we pray this end speedily is be able to go back with the same, with more passion, more vision, more fire for what God has been showing us. So I, I am praying for, for everyone, including myself, that we would take these lessons that we're, that we're talking about here right now. So this is really cool. I'm excited, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, we have so many things to learn, so many things to, uh, to just sit and listen to what God is telling us. And that was a message I shared a couple days ago was out of uh, Psalms 46, where it says, you know, be still and know that I am God. Mm. And that was the biggest thing is like, I know that we're quarantined. A lot of us are still, a lot of us are in one single place, but are we really still and listening to God's voice in our hearts. And, and that's the thing that really kind of spoke to me. I was like, wow, Lord, you have a lot to say to us right now. We need to be still, not only physically and, 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 
in, in our place where we are, but spiritually just to listen to God and to listen to what he has and, and to seek him. So that's one of the things that we're really focused on. And I think that, I don't know, I think that God's going to do something incredible through this. And that's the thing that I'm, I'm, I know, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a, a tough few weeks ahead. Uh, like President Trump said, it's going to be tough. But, uh, but we know that God's going to work through this. Yeah. You know, maybe there's people out there right now who are um, kind of scared of stepping out in faith. Um, maybe someone's thinking even about missions work. Uh, maybe they're praying about it. What advice can you give that person who's listening to this? So check this out. I have something very, very simple um, that the pastor at the last church I was serving in, which was Saddleback, his name's Rick Warren, he said, and that's how I knew definitely to take this job and to serve the Lord in Bolivia. He said, when you take a risk for Jesus, you never lose. Mm. That's the thing that impacted me because I was like, okay, I'm giving up my career. I'm giving up my paycheck. Uh, you know, I'm giving up my life in San Diego and, and the comforts that I had to serve God. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, I was like, you know, I have a family. I have to, uh, you know, the decisions that I make is going to affect not just me, but my wife, you know. Um, and I just felt that peace in my heart. When you take a risk for Jesus, you'll never lose. And understanding that if God is calling you to go out, you know, we, we have that saying that Chuck said, where God guides, he provides. And, and where he's guiding you to go, just go. You know, it's, it's, I guess that's just my attitude a little bit more when I feel God pulling the strings of my heart to do something, I just do it, you know, and, and understand that every step that I've gone through, God has used in my life. So it, I, I don't see any decision as a wrong decision. Uh, I just see God leading and guiding my life. It's just, you got to stay, got to stay humble and you got to stay um, teachable. God's got to be able to show you and to mold you and to shape you, but don't be afraid. You know, if God's guiding you to do something and showing you in his word to do it and, and, and giving you that peace in your heart, then do it. And that's, that's the thing. There's so many people that pray about doing things and then they spend their whole life saying, you know what, one day I'm going to do that. One day I'm going to go do that. It's like, do it. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's being able to, to just jump in. And that was the biggest thing that my, my dad showed me and, 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 and taught me. He was, you know, you want to serve the Lord? Just, I think Chuck said it before and uh and, and all the pastors kind of say their own version but he says you really want to serve the lord see where the holy spirit is moving and jump in yeah and that's what i did <laughs> and so uh, i'm excited to, to be able to serve god and to uh, have my wife with me and to know that you know we're living our life ministry which is serving people in hard to reach places and i, I love that i told my wife like i feel like i'm called to be uncomfortable and what I mean by that is I feel like I'm called to go to hard places where people don't really want to go. So I'm happy here. <laughs> My wife's happy as well. And we're just excited to see what God's going to do in the rest of the time that we have here. Yeah. How are you supporting yourself out there? Uh, so I work for Samaritan's Purse as a uh, international field staff. So I get a paycheck from them. So they're taking care of me. I know a lot of people were like, can we, can we support you? Uh, I mean, I'm like, no, I'm like, support someone who really needs help. I'm like, you can donate to Samaritan's Purse with all the amazing work that they do. You know, we just built a field hospital in Central Park in New York. And, um, and that's the thing that's crazy. People are like seeing the hospital tents in New York City. You know, uh, Samaritan's Purse also built a field hospital in Italy. You know, we have so many ways that the Lord is using this ministry 
uh, to further his kingdom. It's incredible. So if you need a, a good organization to support, Samaritan's Purse is an amazing organization that supports uh, all the uh, all, all the work that God's doing in, in this world. So. Gotcha. Now you did mention that they, they like sending out to specifically uh, places where there's been some sort of disaster. What's going on with Bolivia that they are, are camping there for now? Yeah, so uh, in 2014, there was a huge flood that took place here in uh, Bolivia, in the area that I live in. The, the city that I live in is in danger of flooding every year. Every year, the river rises and just people lose everything. They lose their homes, they lose their crops. Um, this is a, um, there's a lot of uh, cows here. So uh, cattle is a huge um, financial um, you know, institution here in the city that we live in. In 2014, the flood wiped out all the cows. Uh, it, it was just hundreds of thousands of cows that were dead. People lost everything they owned. So that's how Samaritan's Purse came here to, um, to Trinidad to set up. And now since the boat is here, our operations are staying here to, to continue to uh, uh, do the efforts on the boat. So that's the... the uh, the Ruth Bell Riverboats are primary uh, project here in, in Bolivia right now. Gotcha. Okay, so tell me this then. Where do you see, and you don't need to give me your five-year plan, but what do you think God's going to, where he's going to take you next? Are, is Bolivia your home now? Are you coming back to Colombia in the future? What's going on? That's a good question. A lot of people have asked that question. Like, Dude, where are you going to go next? And, and I think uh, being flexible you know, you said it, we, we can plan and, and, uh, and, you know, make our plans, but the Lord's going to direct that, that path in that way. And so um, we're really excited. Uh, my dad is excited and he's praying about maybe what the Lord wants to do in a few years, maybe five to six years. Um, and we have this, I'll tell you, we have this kind of uh, vision that we're praying for, and we're praying for a mobile Bible college uh, on a boat kind of similar to the boat that we're working on that will operate as a floating classroom where we want to visit different communities in the rivers of the Amazon, uh, teaching uh, Bible college, teaching doctrine, teaching how to study and read the scriptures, how to um, minister to people who are hurting because we see that the biggest need in the Amazon right now are uh, pastors and teachers that are prepared and equipped to, to really feed uh, the people. And so that was the, the, one of the things we're praying about and seeing what God's going to do. Um, at this point, I'm just asking Lord, you know, whatever you want to do with my life, you know, we're, we're, it's in, it's in his hands. And, and I don't know, I think you've known me long enough to know that I, I've never had a five-year plan. I don't think I ever will. Right on. And, uh, Pastor Hector definitely would, uh, be the man to do that. That's for sure. He, he's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I got to, um, go fishing with him well i've been the amazon with him twice but this last trip i remember um he took his fishing on this boat and then this random boat just comes down the amazon river and he kind of waves them over and he's like hey he asked me and this guy named angel and this guy named daniel do you guys want to go on the boat to go catch the big fish and we're just like okay so we jump on this boat it's all, again in the middle of the night dude i'm like here we go again dude we're going down some crazy adventure in the middle of the night he takes us out uh, we go down this river and it's, it's just me, Hector, uh, this Colombian guy and, and Daniel. And we go down 
And I just remember seeing what looked like this gauntlet of like fire on the water. I was like, what is that? And for the, that whole time of the, of the trip so far, I, I never saw the moon until that very moment. I realized the moon was reflecting off the water and I, I could see the moon start to rise on, on the horizon. I was like, whoa. And then we start catching this big old fish. The first time I caught fish in Colombia, I was like, this is awesome. And I just remember, gosh, being so tired, going, going back from there to this little like thing that we were sleeping on in the, in the middle of the river. And I just remember Pastor Hector in the morning, niños, niños. And I was just like, what the heck? He's waking us up all like nice and sweet, just like your dad is. I mean, he's, he's got this super sweet side, but then he's got this crazy adventure wild man side where he'll just chop an alligator's head off and feed it to you. So yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to be praying for uh, that, that work and whatever the Lord brings you. Who knows, dude? Who knows what can happen within this next year? At this point, anything's up uh, for whatever God has for us. So we're excited. Absolutely. And I just think people should, um, should know that, you know, God can use you. And don't ever feel that God can't use you or that you don't, you don't, maybe you don't have it in you. There's a lot of people that feel that they're not equipped or that they're not good enough to do something. Man, if God can, can use a donkey, he can definitely use you. And if he can use me, take that. You know, you've known me for a long time and you know what a turd I was. Uh, if God can use me, he can use every one of you guys. It's just being uh, obedient to that call that's on your life and just praying and asking God to show you uh, really what your life mission is. It's like, God, what, what do you want me to do with my life? And, and, and being obedient once he does show you that. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, Joshua, I, I just want to let you know, man, you're, you're a hardworking man. You're, you're anointed of the Lord. I love you, bro. I thank you for coming and accepting this, uh, this podcast interviews. I'm, I'm super like just blessed to, to hear what God's been doing in your life. We are looking up to you. We're, we're praying for you for Angelica and in fact, I do want to kind of close uh, just, just praying for you and your wife and the ministry, if that's cool with you. Absolutely, brother. Thank you. All right, man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for, for Chachi. Thank you for Josh. Just uh, in my life, thank you for using him in so many people's lives that are God across the world. I pray and I ask, Father, that you would just anoint him, bless him, keep him, Father. Just fill him with your joy, your peace in this season. I pray that you would provide for his every need, Lord. Help him, Lord, as, as he travels to get food for his family. I pray, Father, that you would uh, just protect him, keep him safe, Lord. I pray that you would uh, give him the words, Lord God, to speak to people. Give him, Lord God, just the, the spiritual discernment. Lord God, may that grow when he needs to just stop and, and start to pray with someone, to pray for, for healing, Lord God, for, for breakthroughs, Lord God, from sin. I pray, Father, that he would see more and more of the increase, Lord God, of people who are just hungry, Lord God, to accept Jesus Christ in their life. I pray, Father, that you would allow him, Lord God, just to learn in this season, Father, the lessons that are going to prepare him, Father, for the future and what's to come. Uh, I thank you, Father. I pray that you just uh, bless uh, their marriage, Lord God, when it, in your timing, Lord God, bring them those children. And would you, Father, just um, fill them with your joy this season, Lord. And we thank you, Father, again. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, Father, just... Uh, be with our families, Lord God. Be with uh, America. Be with Bolivia, Lord God, the people. And may we, Father, just turn back to you, Lord God, just focusing on you. We love you, Father. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.